Well, hello, EKN Nation. Welcome to the EKN Radio Network and episode number 12 of the Industry Insider, Friday, November 9th. Uh, you'll be listening to this, what will essentially be Super Nationals Week out in Las Vegas. For those of you guys who are grassroots racers, love 206, club, regional, whatever it may be, on the EKN Radio Network all week, hashtag Operation Grassroots. We're going to have a lot of podcasts we've had in the past. We're going to be streaming the Rock Island Grand Prix play-by-play from Tim Coyen. And this interview today will be played quite a bit uh, throughout the week. And I'm excited to actually get a chance to talk with Keith Freiber from Margay Racing. First off, before I go into my time when I started to, to meet you, Keith, hello. And thank you so much for joining us here on EKN. How are you doing, Rob? It's good to finally be here. Well, the, the cool thing is, I'll throw my backstory out before you give us the origin story of Margay. Sure, sure, sure. When I first started... As a journalist, I worked for a newspaper up in Canada called Performance Racing News. Yeah, and, I remember it. Yeah. yeah, I covered everything. Stock car racing, grass drags, road racing, uh, uni- jet skis. I often wonder, I probably should have stayed with jet skis because I just <laughs> sat on the beach and watched girls with bikinis. Yeah, there and you go. Yeah. It was, <laughs> and drank beer, which wasn't the worst thing. So they sent me to a go-kart race. And like so many of us, I'm hook, line, and sinker. I fall in love with it. All I do is work my ass off to see if I could put more karting content into this primarily stock car and road racing and drag racing newspaper. I do that. And as I'm doing it, I'm pushing them to let me go down to the States to a trade show called Kart Fest. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think they get, you know, they paid for my hotel rooms. I think uh, me and a buddy drove down overnight. It was one of those things where I had like a tiny budget to go down. And here I am with this Canadian newspaper. Nobody really knows about it. There's obviously you knew about the Canadians, uh, the sport of up in Canada. Was like, uh, you had a Margate dealer up there, a couple Margate dealers, actually. Uh, Roy Bryden. Um, Roy Bryden. Yeah. Roy, wow. Roy yeah. Bryden cart clinic. Right. And then that? Romeo motorsports. Absolutely. Gino. And then, uh, Gino Romeo for a long time. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good carts up there from Margate, but I come down full of piss and vinegar <laughs> and you're one of the first guys I met. And the cool thing was you treated me with respect from the get go. You know, we talked about the sport in Canada and I just, I, that's what I want to put, lay that out there as I took that as, you know, I went down there and people didn't know who I was, but from, from the very get go, you treated me with a ton of respect. And I really appreciate that. We've had a friendship for a long time, probably because of that, right? We're, we're going on probably 22, 23 years now I've known you. And uh, I just want, I want to start the podcast by thanking you for, for the respect that you showed me it was great. <laughs> well, well, thank you, and thank you for the respect that you've always shown us. Uh, that I remember those cart fest trips well, and uh, we had a lot of fun down there. That's for sure. <laughs> we uh, did. That, that might be an understatement. Um, nobody got arrested. Uh, nope. It was all good. It was all good. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun at the at the Adams Mark Hotel Bar. I remember that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was always yeah. an exciting place to hang around late at night. And uh, but I, I had a lot of respect for you because it was obvious. That. Uh, your passion, the amount of passion you had for karting was obvious. And uh, anybody that was going to drive all night uh, from Canada <laughs> yeah. to, to make it down to Charlotte to hang around in an ice storm at a go-kart show, I thought, well, this guy's my speed. So, uh, yeah, we hit it off right off the bat there, and, and we've had a lot of adventures ever since. And Well, the cool, and the cool thing is, is that I've had a chance to, to drive a Margay quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I look back, and honestly – I don't, I've never raced a CRG. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've even ever raced a Burrell. I don't think I've ever raced a Tony cart. It's, it's, I've always kind of went to the other directions and, and driven different stuff. When I moved to work for National Cart News in 1997, you, of course, were like, Rob, you have to come down to Quincy in the park. You've got to come to this race. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to Quincy in the park with you. Let's do it. 
I came down and got a, you know, I got a, a, a tour of the factory. You and I and Darren Rudolph almost got killed driving to rock, driving to Quincy. Yeah, when the lady was, locked uh, the brakes up in front of us, we took the whole truck and trailer down into the yeah. ditch and came back out. Yep, that was good. Good times. It's almost yeah. the end of both of our careers right there. I go to Quincy to cover the race. We drink too much on the night, uh, Friday night, whatever night it was. I uh, agree that I'll drive Dan Schmalsoff's car. Darren gives me a motor and I'm racing the next day. So that was like- Nothing to it. No. Started 37th, finished 11th. Yeah. I'll take it. Solid. Uh, but- I got a chance to race with you. You actually tuned for me at Rock Island yeah. uh, in Tag Master one yep. year. I think we probably could have won, but we drank too much at the Travoltas, and I finished fifth. Wait a minute. What's this we? Why do I keep drugging it, keep getting and drug in with this we thing? Yeah, you, True. We, we, we were kung fu fighting. <laughs> there was a lot of kung fu fighting. I was so hungover. I don't think I, I don't think we warmed up. I think I was too hungover no, to warm, it, to warm we up. we could have won, and I was so mad at you because we could have won that race. We and you fast, said, I don't I need to run. You're, you, you told me the night before, I'm not going to be there for the warm-up. I don't need no. to run tomorrow. <laughs> oh boy! Okay, but, it, but um, you finished it, and that was solid. So that was a good. It was time. solid, and I had a good. I had a good run with uh, with Greg Dingus as well. Um, in the in the market, I qualified second to Tony Nielsen. Don't think I could have won that one. He was too good. But again, I, you know, I I had a Brava four eleven at home in my club that I used to race on back at National Kart News days. We did the Project Yamaha, yeah, uh, with the with the first ever Brava one chassis back in the day. Yeah, so I've had yeah. a chance obviously to run with you quite a bit. It's been, it's always been fun. It's been really cool to watch kind of the development, you know, of Margay. Now I'm going to ask you to kind of give us a bit of the origin story. Cause I come in obviously so late in the, in the day, let's talk a little bit early about, sure. about how it kind of came together for, for the EKM listeners who, you know, who know Margay, but don't realize how long this brand, this name has been in the sport. It's been around a long time. There's no question about yeah. that. Um, so my grandfather uh, got his start in motorsports uh, many, many years ago. I mean, back in the late 30s and 40s, he owned what what they raced, uh, what they called back then were jalopies. And he, he had a jalopy race car and, yeah. and raced out at the dry lake beds here out west of St. Louis. And uh, a little bit further down the line, he ended up owning a uh, USAC midget, a Curtis Craft Offie that uh, a lot of very significant drivers of the era drove. And then in the early 60s, my father got involved in karting, and my grandfather started making some components for his cart. And one thing led to another, and we developed a gearbox for the cart in 1964. I say we, but my grandfather developed this gearbox in 1964. Wow. And it sort of revolutionized things at the time, did away with the chain drive that was so problematic for so many people. And, and the Margay gearbox is really where we got started. So uh, we were building the gearbox. We were building some suspension components and some add-on components for a company called King Cart out of Milwaukee. And they basically said to us, hey, why don't you just buy the company? And we did in 1968. So uh, 1968, we bought King Cart out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we started building our own chassis here in St. Louis. And, and and we haven't stopped. So were they were they King Carts back then? I, I know the company was Marquette Tool and Die. Is is that where Margate uh, Margate came from? The the Mar or roughly? I'm interested in that. Yeah, sort of. That that's a, a good good question. So uh, originally, if you look back at some of our very early ads for the gearbox and some of the very early ads for the chassis, you'll see Mar Dash Cart M A R Dash K A R T. That was okay. the original company name back in. Uh, well, 64, uh, early 64, actually. And somebody else in the industry already had a similar name. They complained. So we came up with something else. And 
how they arrived at the name, I don't know, but I think it was always a, a very fitting name for the product. And that was Margay. And a Margay is a small leopard, basically. It's a, it's a cat that's indigenous to Central and South America. Very quick, very nimble. This little cat that's about 24 inches long can run up to 70 miles an hour, can stop on a dime, can you know turn on a dime as well. And uh, very quick and nimble. So it was fitting for the product that we were building. And so we were up and running with Margay carts in 1968. And away you go from there, you know, in, in a future podcast, we'll, I think you now just spend the time going back and diving into some of the stories, because I think <laughs> anybody that's been around long, long as, as let's say 20 years remembers going through the national cart news and seeing the, you know, the tsunami oh, yeah. and the, yeah. you know, the forays into 125 racings and the Tom Neal's, uh, editions like there was just that was i remember seeing that stuff and that man this is so cool yeah those were i mean you mentioned tom neil you mentioned mentioned the tsunami uh program yeah. i mean those were some things that we did early on uh and with a lot of help from a lot of other really good people and and that's really uh a significant part of our history that shouldn't be overlooked along the way whether it was my grandfather my father or myself We've all been very, very fortunate that we've had some really good help from some just terrific people along the way. And, uh, you know, I, I've been very fortunate as well. So um, couldn't do it without all the people that support us. That's for sure. Let's talk. Uh, first, let's ask this. What, uh, when did you make your real official entrance? You know, I know when it comes to be a family company, you, you're there, but you have no control and you're battling with it. You know, what? was that? Was that a case or was, did your dad finally say, Hey, if this is yours, I'm, I don't want it anymore. It's all yours. You know, you're old enough. Run with this thing. Well, Over yeah, what, what year? so just to back up a little bit further, uh, Please. I first drove a cart in 1978. I was 10 years old. First time I ever sat in a go-kart was at Boschertown Speedway in St. Charles, Missouri. It's still there today. It's a rental cart track. And, and I drove a Panther X rookie with a Mac 49 on it. Uh, it was my father and his ace driver of the time, a guy named Bud Roll, who was probably one of the funniest people I've ever met in karting. Um, so that was my first experience, uh, like I say, 1978. And I was involved, you know, I was always hanging around on weekends. My, my dad, I'd, I'd go to the races with my dad and I got to hang around a lot of the great names of the late seventies and early eighties, you know, the Scott Pruitts, Lynn Haddocks, Mark Dismore's. Gary Hartman, who uh, unfortunately just passed. Um, Most definitely. But yeah. uh, so I got to grow up around a lot of these really interesting people and a lot of people that worked really, really hard. So um, it was really a terrific experience for me. Um, I was doing a lot of racing myself in my late teens, um, really got into the road racing, really enjoyed the enduro racing. Uh, the folks family took me under their wing and sort of straightened me out in a lot of ways on the racetrack <laughs> and getting to the racetrack and, and had a lot of fun with that group and, and just really found my niche when it came to racing. I really love the road racing. I still do. And, uh, yeah, we can talk about that too. Cause you still will show up at Daytona and you're, you're winning races. Right? Well, I, I was like, until Randy built a new cart this past year, and then it got a lot more difficult. But, oh, I see. Yeah, of course. But, right? uh, yeah, I'll be back at Daytona this year, I believe. Good. I think it's going to be my 37th year in a row racing at Daytona. Wow. Haven't missed one other than the two years that uh, WK did not compete down there. But yeah, I've been yeah. to every one since 19-whatever that was. That's amazing. Um, so anyway, uh, fast forward. Uh, went to college, Bradley University, Peoria, Illinois, close to home, so I could come home and race every weekend. And 
priorities. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my father had had sort of bowed out of running Margay on a daily basis uh, back in the early 80s. And he took over the other company, Marquette Tool and Die. And we had had a succession of different managers that did a great job with the company over the years. Uh, Charlie Grodeke was involved and and, uh, did a terrific job and really helped the company along. So then I I graduated from uh, Bradley in in, uh, December of 1990. Came back here uh, after Daytona, and my dad basically said, here, go figure this out. And what seemed like a really cool opportunity at the time, you know, I'm, what, 22 years old, and I've got this go-kart company to run. How cool is this? Well, now I've got 15 employees that are answering to me, and um, I got my eyes opened really quick. And what I thought, you know, I thought I learned a lot in college. I didn't learn anything in college. I learned it all sort of on the job. and so. had to learn a lot, had to adapt, and it took me a, a while to sort of find my feet in that manner. Um, but I've been fortunate that, uh, again, a lot of good people have helped me out over the years, and here we are. Uh, well, that, that that begs me to ask this question then. What? So you take over the company. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the turning point project? Uh, project? You know, what what was the cart model? Was was there one that was kind of yours? Like, you know, you got great drivers that are on Margay. You're getting feedback from all these drivers. But was there one after you took control, mm-hmm. after, you, you know, you brought everybody together and, and it was your kind of your deal? What was that first chassis? What was that first project that you could say, you know what, that was mine? Uh, that That's easy. That was the Puma cart. And... Yep. It's real easy to be focused on the top of the pyramid. You know, I, I talk about the pyramid, the carding pyramid. I talk about that a lot. And it's very easy for, yeah, we do too. for you and I to yeah. like, oh, we get really wound up with what's going on at the top of the pyramid. But the reality is you've got to have the base to support everything at the top. And where we want to focus on at the time, you know, what we were going to win the IKF Grand Nationals with, the reality is that's different from what you sell uh, to the average weekend racer. So what we did back then was uh, repackaged what was the Expert 3 model, repackaged it as a price point cart called the Puma, and and pushed that towards the four-cycle market, which was based around the Flathead Briggs at the time. And that thing mm-hmm. really took off for us. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, we were selling five, 600, 700 Pumas a year. Um, and that's nice to have that foundation. That allows you to go off and do some of those other really cool things that we like to do. So that Puma was the one that, uh, that was my first project, I would say. And that was that, that was what stabilized your program. It was. Your yeah, it really program. was. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that allowed us to go do other things. So, um, you know, and then you, you go from that to the affiliation we had with Tom Neilds, uh, which was lined up via Doug Henline, another great guy. Uh, no doubt. And, and, and then on to the tsunami with Colin Owasa at Yamaha, which, you know, all these people that I mentioned, yourself included, you know, uh, again, all these people have always gone out of their way to help me and help the company over the years. And it, it just has to be said that uh, we wouldn't be where we are today without all these people helping out. There are so many components to a program, obviously, Keith, you know, whether, like you said, you brought up Colin Owasa from Yamaha. This is, you know, he was a big supporter yeah. of what we did at Shifter Card Illustrated Magazine as well. You know, Colin was one of those guys with a full page when we first got things rolling yep. and, and continue, continue to do that until essentially Yamaha was phased out of Shifter Card Racing. Now, you bring up Doug Headline, yeah. you know, you were in 1990, you're rocking the Puma. <laughs> it's You've got a good base of, of what's going out to the 90% of the sport. 
Now, like, like me, and I was the same way with ski. I was so excited. People still talk about the fact that we need to make stars of the sport and our top guys need to be big, but we need to take care of the bottom of the foundation. You move towards uh, the, I guess the first steps towards maybe, and you did go try to try out the world championships, that Bravo one program that so many people will remember who were around in the, in the mid nineties, you know, that, that formula Y deal, that, that Brava, you know, that Bravo one, that, that chassis man with the drivers you had, the Jonathan Stroms, uh, Pete Vetter, you know, Tofi Stewart, yeah. the guys you had behind the wheel of those carts won a ton of races. And that was kind of something that really put you guys, it took you big time into the national scene again. It did. You're exactly right. And, and the genesis of that really goes back to Doug Henline and, and his desire to elevate the sport of karting in the U.S. market. And uh, Doug was just, Doug was a, Doug is a, a Really neat guy, uh, unbelievably smart, very driven, very motivated, and, and it was a lot of fun to work with Doug. I learned a lot with him, and, and I wish I could work again with him. But at the time, uh, the U.S. was is an island. You know, everything we were doing in the U.S. was completely different than what they did in Europe in terms of structure and format and classes. Yeah. And so Doug recognized that if we ever want to have young drivers in the U.S. competing on a global platform competing at the world championship level, we have to have a program here in the U.S. that mirrors what they do in Europe. And so he uh, laid the groundwork for what became the Constructors' Cup Series with the Formula A program in IKF Region 6 in 1995 and 1996. And we ended up competing very heavily in that uh, with uh, Mike Doty out of New York and mm-hmm. Mike was a terrific driver in that era, still is, still involved in the sport, of course. And and Mike won a ton of races for us and four cycles and Yamahas. And, and we got to know Mike through his uh, teaming up with Tom Neilds. So, uh, again, this was kind of the Southern California connection. But uh, the Region 6 program, the Formula A program in Region 6, that was the toughest thing going in the country at the time. You know, Region 6 ran every, every uh, once a month in Southern California. Once a month. Yep. First week of and, the month. And <laughs> man, everybody that showed up at those races, they were tough. The crowd was, I mean, it was really, really competitive. And so we were there and we were always based out of Doug's shop at uh, Douglas Wheel. And, and we learned a lot. We learned a whole lot on the chassis development side. It was very productive. And that's essentially uh, where we finalized the development of the Bravo 1. And, and then we took off into 1997 with the Constructors' Cup Series in 97, 98, 99. And then we went and raced the World Championships in 1999 with the Bravo 1. And I'm looking out my door right now in the office out into the showroom, and there is the, the sister cart to the one that we ran the World Championships with in Belgium. So pretty cool. In, here, and here's the thing, and I love to hear that. So, you know, I've, I've been doing this for 25 years now, and the Bravo 1 is one of those carts – that you, if you were to put a timeline out and throw a couple of names down at carts that kind of, you know, came in and wow, that was, that was a badass cart or this one here kind of changed things, or this is one that everybody jumped <laughs> on or a ton of them got sold because it was yeah, that good. Yeah. The Bravo one was for you guys and for the sport itself of Yamaha racing and then into Formula A was really a turning it point was. when it came to America, American karting. There's no doubt it about it. It really that. was. And it reestablished us, you know, karting is very cyclical. You know, you're up, you're down, and, and every manufacturer goes through it. You know, uh, no one's immune, you know, uh, whether it's any of the top brands out of Italy, 
uh, or us here in the States, you know, you've got your time at the top, everybody works hard, to knock you off, and then you've got to claw your way back up there again. And so uh, that Brava one was the culmination of a lot of work and a lot of determination to get back on top. And, and we saw the results in the finished product. It was a great cart, very easy to drive right out of the box and fast out of the box. Anybody could jump in it, set it up the way we told them to set it up and go fast and win races. So uh, if you remember about that cart, it had that unique front stabilizer bar where we mm-hmm. tied both kingpins together and made the front end of that cart super rigid. And uh, that thing stayed free forever and uh, just fun cart to drive. Uh, not a lot of fun to build, not a lot of fun to manufacture, <laughs> but uh, okay. but uh, a cool cart nonetheless. Uh, and, and it is remembered fondly by a lot of people just like yourself. Oh, no doubt. So, so you rack up all these wins, obviously, uh, you know, I mentioned a couple of names, but you've got to throw, you know, uh, Scott, uh, Scotty Evans oh, yeah, in there absolutely. as well. Uh, you know, guys that won so many races at Rock Islands, a lot of them, of course, with, uh, with Gus Traders program, the PK, a lot of, you know, you're the one that introduced me to Gus. I was actually going through some old notes, uh, some old file folder and Gus had sent me a, a you know, a, yes. a written letter thanking yes. me for coming to the Quincy and I, I went, you know, I put it aside. That's going in a frame. I'm putting it up because uh, you had sent me a picture as well. I think of us, all, all of us hanging out with Terry yep. and Gus and you and I. And I think I, I think it was Rob Klein potentially from Inside Track go. Racing. Yes, that's paper. who that was. Yeah, I think it was Rob. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah but that's was, Gus, you know, the handwritten thank you note from yeah. Gus. It was Gus amazing. was an amazing yeah. guy amazing. and uh, uh, definitely one of the people I looked up to in the sport. He had such a unique way about him. As Terry, his son says, Gus was one of a kind, you know. And, no doubt. uh, I was very fortunate to get to participate in a lot of his events. And, and he just, from day one, when I was a kid hanging out at the racetrack up there, he always treated us with so much respect, treated our family so well. Uh, he was so kind to my grandfather and my father. Um, I just can't say enough about the trader family and what they've meant to our family and to carding. And, and I got to make that clear. You know, there were a lot of people, uh, that always kind of knocked Gus because he charged for this and he charged for that. And I had to pay for this and I had to pay for that. Well, yeah, stuff costs money, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a business. business. Yeah. He's not doing this for fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's why he was able to promote, promote go-kart races for over 30 years because he made money at it. And, and I yeah. think that's oftentimes overlooked. You know, I think a lot of people think we should be doing this as volunteers or something, you know, but the bottom line is it's all a business and you've got bills to pay. So Gus was uh, one of a kind. Uh, he was stern, but he would treat everybody the same way. Um, and he would do anything for you if he could, you know? So uh, again, I can't say enough about Gus and the entire trader family. Before we fast forward, mm-hmm. And talk about what is essentially, I believe, to be the next, you know, that iconic blip chassis that we're going to be talking about. That's sure. the Ignite. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that you guys, you know, you have the Brava, the Constructors Championship, which really brought, you know, FIA, mm-hmm. CIK racing to the U.S. and Canada yeah. as well. There was races up at Mostport yeah, yeah. as well. I talked to, to uh, uh, Alan Rudolph about winning the priming primer yeah. race up there on yeah. a Gay. But, you know, the Constructors had Formula A. And yep. Jika, which is Junior Intercontinental A. We, you were in Formula Y, Formula Y Why Junior. Why aren't we still doing that? That's Formula still, y. Was so good, you know? Formula Y Junior Champion was uh, Michael McDowell wow. the first wow. year. He's actually in that in Cup. Now you look, just look at the guys, Scotty Evans. Those, it well, was you awesome look back, I've got, um, a, I've got a grid sheet around here somewhere from the race at Marshalltown, and I think it was 1998 in the Formula A class. And, and yep. you've got Danica Patrick, Sam Hornish, 
Um, oh my gosh. I mean, there were just Patrick, Patrick Long, Long, Michael Valiente, Brian, F- um, yeah, Brian, Brian Fisher. Fisher. I know Fisher the Fisher brothers, brothers were there. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so Brandon Miller, Brandon, probably so many people in that class that went on <laughs> to either very high end, uh, careers like Danica and Sam or are still mm-hmm. making like Patrick Long. Patrick Long's a great story. You know, I mean, that guy's been paid by Porsche for the last 15 years to drive race cars for the factory. That's amazing. It's and, amazing. It is and, totally. And he, he's one of those guys that went first yep. to Europe. Remember ran in fact, factory yeah. CRG, he and Ryan yeah. Briscoe ended up running for the factory Van Diemen team in, in formula 1600. But instead of getting, you know, he wasn't able to make that next move. He made that move to sports cars. And like you said, factory driver. And all of a sudden, there's your life. And I, I see him at sports car races from uh, now and then. He and Sebastian Bourdais uh, run a charity race at the, at the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg every year, a karting event we do at the track. Uh, Patrick's definitely a huge success story. Yeah, and, and just to go tie it back to Gary Hartman a little bit, his tuner the last two years of the Constructors' Cup was none other than Gary Hartman, who uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. passed away last week. And 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 Gary Hartman could be a whole nother podcast for you. I mean, there's... The stories there are legendary. Yes. I won't even get started because it's just too crazy. But I know, that right? guy was a very unique individual who gave so much to karting and, and helped so many people in karting. But yeah, Pat Long, another great story and another great name that came out of the I just I can't say enough about that Constructors Cup series. You know, that era, 97 through 99, and the people that ran in that series and where they went after that series, it was really pretty impressive. And that all goes back to Doug Henline. Art Verlinger at RLV and Randy Kugler at WKA. Those three guys That's worked it. hard to put that European style program in place so that when our drivers did go to Europe and had to compete on their turf, on their terms, our drivers were prepared. And I think the the, the quality of drivers that they turned out out of that series is sort of unparalleled in any other era in the sport. Perfect time to take a quick break here on episode number 12 of the Industry Insider. Keith Friedman from Margay Racing joining me here on the EKN Radio Network. Folks, stick with us. When we come back, I'm going to ask Keith to talk a little bit about that run at the World <laughs> Championships because there's so, so many awesome stories, some that you, you'd probably have trouble <laughs> believing, ladies and gentlemen. Stick with us. More to come here on the EKN Radio Network. Hello, Carding fans. This is Gabby Chavez, and you're locked into the EKN Radio Network. For over a century, Briggs & Stratton has had a commitment and passion for racing. It's a DNA found in every engine we build today. So whether you kart race, Baja, race quarter midgets, or believe that dirt and snow are just God's way of adding to the challenge, the dedicated spirit of every Briggs & Stratton employee stands at the fence waiting for the green flag to drop. Briggs and Stratton Racing, what powers you? Since 2003, K1 Race Gear has been a one-stop shop for all your indoor and outdoor karting needs. From racing shoes, suits, and driving gloves to chest protectors, rib vests, accessories, and bags, K1 Race Gear provides quality karting products for the enthusiast and the professional alike. We have an incredible lineup of K1 karting suits designed to fit everyone's budget. Check out our entry-level GK2, the new Apex 2, and our top-of-the-line Speed 1 suit. Then, choose from our Apex and RS1 karting gloves 
and add in our K1 shoes, rib protectors, and neck collars. If you need a custom suit to support your sponsors, we can create a custom look as unique as you are. As you would expect, our custom suits are made to order. With pricing as low as $495, you're sure to find a suit that not only satisfies your racing needs, but is easy on the wallet as well. We take care of all of our customers at K1 Race Gear, not just the ones with deep pockets. Visit K1RaceGear.com today and get everything you need for your next racing season. Hello, karting fans. This is IndyCar driver Zach Veach, and you're locked into the EKN Radio Network. Welcome back to the EKN Radio Network. Thank you so much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Rob Howden, joined by Keith Freeber here from Margay Racing on the Industry Insider. We're talking about Margay. We've uh, gone through some of the past. We're going to do one quick pass before we jump into the future. Keith, before we went to break, we talked a little bit about uh, you guys going to the World yeah. Championship and, and not taking a driver over yeah. and renting something. You guys built sure. your own chassis. You guys were going over. It's not something that we saw well, we saw in your that era, right? Earlier in the days, Lake Speed probably took his own chassis over. But the bottom line is, you guys said, hey, in 19, was it 98? It was 99, it was 90, actually, it was 1999. 99. You guys are going to the World Championships. You're taking Margay. Set the seat, the scene. Who was the driver? Who were the mechanics? Talk about going over and taking on the world's best. Well, it, it was, there's so much to the story. I mean, and it's the whole... We'll save most of it for later, but just talk a little bit about it here right now. Then I'll ask one question because there's one thing I want to ask. So the short version is that uh, we had a great uh, young driver running for us named Brandon Witt and his father, Dan Witt. You know, they're out of El Cajon, California, uh, just a racing family, hardcore racing family, great people. Some of the nicest people I've ever met in the sport, just uh, yeah, really terrific awesome people. people. So um, we were fortunate enough to work with them and, and Dan early in the season said, Hey, I want to go run the world championships. So we started making plans and we started building chassis and we were, we were taking all of this feedback from the people that we were working with and they wanted us to keep making the cart look and work like all of the European carts that we were competing against. And my philosophy was kind of like, well, okay, we're going to be as fast as all of those carts that you're wanting us to make the cart work like. And I just didn't really understand their approach, uh, but that's what they wanted to do. And we kind of went down that path. And so we get to the world championships and we've got this chassis that we think is really good because it works just like, and it looks just like this other cart going around the track. Um, and, and that other cart was, you know, there was, I think... I think there was about 132 entries in the class, if I remember correctly. 132 entries in Formula A. Every one of them is freaking fast, you know? What We're track at Marienburg that again? in Belgium. Really amazing Belgium. facility. Super cool place. And like I say, everybody there is fast. Uh, so, so this cart that we had sort of modeled ours after based on some input, you know, is like 50th out of 132. Well, we're like 55th out of 132 halfway through the, you know, several days of practice. So I kept sort of arguing with the crew and trying to make my case for, let's just throw that Bravo one out there, a box stock Bravo one. Let's just throw that thing out on the track. Just humor me. And so we got to the last day of practice and we were still mid pack, which is, you know, I mean, that's still pretty respectable at the world championship for a bunch no of doubt. Americans. Yeah. So, you know, I had a hard time and they finally said, okay, sure. Just to shut you up, we'll throw everything over on the Bravo one and see what that gets us. Well, like the first lap out of the pits, we're like four tenths better. 
you know, and now all of a sudden we're 18th and then we come in, work on it a little bit, change a few things. We finished the last day of practice, like I think 12th out of 132. And I'm yes. thinking, oh man, now we got something going on here. And I, it was really exciting at that point, you know? And so we start prepping for qualifying the next day and all is well and, and uh, feeling pretty good about everything. And we had a little misadventure with the rental car on the way back to this uh, chateau that we were staying in that Mr. Hinline lined up for us. And uh, needless to say, it uh, it didn't really end well for the rental car, but we did make it home and we got back to the track the next morning and we get ready for qualifying and weather rolls in. We're in like the third or fourth group to go out and qualify. They send five carts out at a time. You've got 132 carts to qualify. So it's an all day process. So we go out or we get ready to go out. It starts raining. So the track is full wet. It's a downpour. We have to change everything over to wet settings, put all the rain tires on real quick. We go out and we do well. Brandon did a nice job out there in the wet. First time he had been at the wet at that track all week. Did a good job. We're sitting pretty decent after, I think, five or six rounds of qualifying. We're like, yeah, this will be all right. Then they have a problem with the scoring computer. The scoring computer goes down. They stop practice. The wind picks up. All of a sudden, the clouds part. The sun comes out, and the track goes full dry. And now everybody that qualifies after us is on a dry track. They don't rerun qualifying. Tough luck for you. That's what the heat races are for, they say. Yeah. And, and you know, nowadays, if it's if it's set, the sessions are different, by time they'll 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 change it up. Back then, no, it rained. it rained. It rained. Tough luck, right? Yeah, yeah. Tough luck. So that's right. I think we ended up. I think our final standings in, in qualifying was like seventy eighth or something. You know, so talk about having the wind taken out of your sails. Um, so I think we had seven heat races, um, and we started twenty first in every heat race, and to make it into the last chance race, we would have had to gone from twenty first to tenth. In every one of those heat races, and anybody that's been to one of those events at the World Championships knows that that's just that's impossible. I mean, ev- everybody's the yeah. same speed. It's just a it's a parade of carts flat out from front to back. They're just bumper to bumper to bumper. Everybody's the same speed. It's really, really, it's the hardest racing I've ever seen or been a part of, and it's just it's the coolest thing ever. But needless to say, we we didn't make it into the final, uh, but it was still a great experience, and we did prove the chassis was competitive on an international level. So that was important and it was a great experience all the way around. And that is a story that we are going to dive into in another podcast. Maybe it'll be one of my, my new book it podcasts where you and I can just sit down and talk about the sport, but we'll go all in. Maybe we'll even see if we can get headline on here as well to talk about it. And, and cause I, cause it was just one of those things when it was happening. I remember, you know, we, we couldn't no, follow it like no, we do nowadays, all. right? We, you know, it wasn't like it was online. I or, think or I anything. was. I had. We, we were staying in this crazy chateau out in the middle of nowhere in this field in Belgium, but I had some sort of internet connection, and Chuck Tate at racersites.com was handling our uh, uh, website at the time, and I would type up like a little daily summary every night, and then somehow I would transmit that back to him, and he would publish that on our website. This was before blogs and and Facebook. This is before all yeah. that stuff. And it blew me away the response that I got or that we got 
to those uh, posts that we were putting up daily. I mean, I had people coming up to me three and four or five years later saying, oh, I remember when you were at the world championships, that was the coolest thing ever. I really enjoyed reading those you know, daily reports. And so it was kind of fun to do. It was a lot of work. Um, but yeah, we can sit down and really get into the details of that someday. Yeah. I want to do that. So, okay. Now time to fast forward because we talked about how great the, the, the Margay Bravo one was and how it kind of, you know, just pushed you guys back in the, in the front, but it was one of those chassis. that will be an iconic chassis forever. Here we are now with a reef, a renewed focus on trying to build the foundation. Everybody's realizing that, Hey, you know, we need more, we need to get more people yeah. into the sport. It's not as easy as it used to be. Hey, carding's cool. Yeah. Come out with your parents the kids have a lot of different things they're looking at. So we're trying to get more yeah. people into the sport. Now, one of the things everybody's worried about is, you know, at, at the time you couldn't get a European chassis for under six yeah. grand or five grand. Um, you know, you guys roll in with the Margay Ignite. And I want to, I want to ask the an origin story on that. You can tell me more about where did the idea come up and when did you guys say, Hey, you know what? We're going to take the sniper out of the front of the cart. We're going to make, we're going to make a cart with this Briggs 206, which is of course, uh, you know, press that reset button on on four cycle racing. Where did it all come from? What was the motivation to hit that three ninety, you know, thirty nine ninety nine price point under four thousand, and then roll with the ignite program? Well, I think you, you know, really it starts with looking at the industry as a whole and and having to acknowledge that the customer base, the consumer base, is changing. It's evolving. People don't have. I mean, yeah. it, it starts with your potential customers. People don't have the time for hobbies that they used to, nor do they have the technical knowledge that they used to. I mean, I like to say that a lot of times people don't know which end of the screwdriver to hold anymore. And and it's true. (laughs) Really, uh, we take so much for granted because we've been doing this all of our lives. But, you know, if you think about it, you know, when you go to buy a motorcycle, you walk into the motorcycle showroom, every one of those motorcycles has an engine in it ready to go, right? If you walk into a cart shop, that's yeah. usually not the case. For many years, it's getting a little bit better now, I think. But for many years, if you walked into a cart shop, there's a go-kart over there, no engine, the wheels and tires aren't mounted on it, and the seat's not mounted on it. So you've got this jungle gym <laughs> piece true, of equipment yeah. sitting over there on the floor, or I can go down to the motorcycle dealership and drive that thing home today. Um, yeah. So you know, the short version is we had to make a concerted effort to make it easier for people to get into the sport, to remove the entry, the traditional entry barriers into the sport and, and just simplify the whole process so that uh, you don't have to educate yourself over the course of a year before you can even get started in this thing. So that's where it all started, basically. Now, obviously, you came up with with this, this chassis, turnkey, you know, the Bridgestone tires are already on it. Everything's ready to go. You pull the, pull the cord and away you go. Was where... The Ignite program is now as a full ex, a full spec program, you know, just Ignite. Was was that in the mind? Was that part of the initial thought? It was, okay. and it wouldn't have been possible without Gateway Cartplex and Gateway Motorsports. Yeah, then, then go right to there because that's obviously my next question on my list. Let's talk about how the Gateway program came about. Because I remember when you first called me and said, Rob, you got to hear what I got going on here. This is going to be super cool. Talk a bit about how the Gateway Carplex came. The, the racetrack that is right inside Gateway Motorsports Park, just across the river in Missouri. 
Yeah, and it's really right at our front door yeah. here. It's it's 15 minutes from our shop. So uh, Curtis Francois is a local property developer and motorsports enthusiast. He had his eye on Gateway Motorsports Park for many years. Uh, the opportunity came up to purchase it. Before he made that decision to purchase it, he contacted me and said, hey, this is what I think I'm going to do over here at Gateway. Uh, I want karting to play a central role in everything we do at, at Gateway Motorsports Park. Uh, would you be interested in doing something with us? And I said, heck yeah, let's go. And so Curtis was uh, uh, very generous with uh, his time, um, very generous with his facility and, and provided the funding to get Gateway Cartplex built. So uh, we did a lot of the design development, uh, the layout of the facility, and Curtis made it happen. So um, you know, we, we're very fortunate that we have this what's really a perfect little club facility so close to home here. But that was really the incubator for the whole Ignite program. That's where we could sort of test our theory. That's where we could kind of prove this whole thing yes. out. Yeah. We thought it was going to work. We thought that this is what people would want. We thought that this was a way to make it easier for people to get involved in the sport. But it was going to be difficult to uh, encourage another track to sort of dive in and, and, and take the plunge. But here we had a clean sheet of paper and we're able to start from scratch. So, you know, we've had the benefit of, of being around the sport for a long time and having seen what works and having seen what doesn't work. And now we've got a clean sheet of paper to kind of put all of it together and say, hey, I think this is what's really going to work out well. And, and one of the great things about what we've been able to create at Gateway and with the Ignite program there is the community, the people that are involved in the program. And, and to me, that is by far the coolest part of the program. I've gotten to work with a lot of interesting people over the years, um, but the community, the family, uh, the participants base that we have there at Gateway and, and being involved in the Ignite program, it's just, it's so cool to see somebody get into the sport, to see them progress, to see them get their first race win at the local level, to see them get their first race win at the regional level, you know, and, th and that was always the goal with Gateway uh, Cartplex was to uh, develop young drivers, to, to give young drivers a place to develop their skills. So as they move up the ladder, they can be competitive at any level. And at the same time, providing a, a fun atmosphere for the middle-aged guy like myself or yourself that just wants to go out and race every week. I'm never going to be an IndyCar driver, but I want to go out and just have a good time with my buddies. And and so I think we've done a good job uh, uh, creating the place with the help of uh, Keith Scharf, the general manager over there, um, and a lot of other really good people that have made it all happen. But uh, it, it's been good. You know, I think one of the, the key things is, and, and and Keith, everybody talks about the fact that how, or discusses the opportunity. How do we get the guys that are running at a local indoor car track, whether it's a K1 or an MB2, whatever it may be, yeah. how do we get them from there and get them to our local track over here? Because it's not, it's not like it's the same place. There's only a handful of tracks around the entire country where there is um, – where there is a you know a rental cart program, a four hire kind of race program, where they're out there having leagues, that kind of thing, then that next step into my own go karts an easy thing to do. You know, obviously they have that over at Cal Speed, but they already have a couple, a couple of clubs there, so you know they're coming out of there battling with whoever's you know whatever organizations. You guys were able to come in. They have the rental carts at Gateway Carplex. They have a league, I would assume, whatever it mm -hmm. may be. You guys the I drive league, yeah, right. The arrive and drive league, but then there's. Yep. You're not having to compete with this chassis, that chassis, whatever it may be. People trying to low balls, you know the the regular industry stuff where guys are battling for customers. 
yeah. they're right there. They're like, it's easy. Oh, that, you had a great time here. Here's this go-kart here. Buy well, it. That, you just said it. It's easy. Yeah, it's easy. You, know, you remove easy. the barrier That's of entry the key. completely. Well, so you get people involved uh, through the rental carts over there, and then, then they want to be a little more competitive, so they get involved in the iDrive program, which is the uh, Wednesday Night Racing League over okay. there. And what we do is we offer – for the season-long champion in, in the two iDrive classes, there's a light and a heavy. We offer the winner of the light and heavy class a fully supported and sponsored ride in the Ignite Series the next year. So it's a real, it's quite an incentive for a lot of these uh, rental cart racers. And, and it's worked real well at drawing people up the ladder from the rental carts and into the Ignite program. But, but you, you, you know, you really touched on a couple of important things. Again, it's easy for them to make that transition from rental carts to uh, the full, you know, typical race carts. And, yeah, and same we, atmosphere, we do, same track. It's not like they're going somewhere new where they're going to be intimidated. They just go back to the same place they've been at for two years, whatever it may be. Which is a big part of it, it too. Is. They're less intimidated to come back to that track. Yeah. But the other, the other big issue that we address is the decision-making side of it. It can be so overwhelming for somebody that's sort of dabbling in the sport. You know, what chassis do I buy? What engine package do I buy? You know, what clutch do I put on this yeah. thing? There's so many of these questions that, again, you and I take for granted or people that have been in the sport for 20 years take for, we just, well, yeah, you do this and you do that and off you go. But for somebody new getting into the sport, they have no idea. So our philosophy was take all of that out of the equation. Look, when you want to get involved in the sport, this is where you start right here. Get involved, get started here, do this for a year, do this for two, three years. If you want to move on to something else, you're going to have a super solid foundation. You're going to be competitive if you decide to move in another class. And we find out that a lot of people, this is as fast as they want to go. You know, they're perfectly content staying right where they are. So uh, it's worked out really well for us. And, and we really, at the end of the day, we think we just are adjusting to the needs of today's consumer. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. You're, you know, you're evolving into where you're hitting that window that the customers are looking for. Now you talk about drivers potentially wanting to go faster. And of course you guys have a KA 100 program for the Margay. We'll talk a little more down the line about what you're doing now at circuit of the Americas and awesome. But before I say that, the one cool factor is you're not letting your guys at the track gateway or the similar, the similar deal over at Autobahn. Mm -hmm. You're not letting they're not, they're not getting bored because, there's these couple of events that have come out from our gay guys that people are just jumping all over. There's Daytona cart week, you know, there's rock Island, which has grown. There's the battle of the brickyard that had what 50 something ignites. So if you're a guy at gateway or at Audubon or any one of the tracks you guys will have, or will set up, there's places you can throw your cart in the back and away you go. And you're racing against your fellow ignite guys from around the country at some big events. I think that's kind of a cool factor that, that stops that potential for them saying, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm getting a little bored. You know, I want yeah, something different. That's, yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's one of the things I'm really proud of. And, and one of the other things I'm really proud of, and I have to mention since it is sort of rolling into, uh, or, or we are in uh, the super nationals week here is we've got two young drivers that I'm, I'm super proud of uh, that are on their way. They both started at the cartplex. They both started in the ignite program at the cartplex. They both have moved up the ladder. They've one at the regional level now. We've got these two young guys that are headed to Vegas this uh, this week, uh, Cam Myers and, and Evan Stommer. These are two really good young guys, and uh, I'm, they're going to have their work cut out for them at the Super Nationals for sure, but they're going to get faster every time on the track, 
and they're going to come back next year and they are definitely going to be on the list of the ones to beat. There's no question in my mind about it. Nice. So it's really cool to see these kids come up through our program and and make that transition. So we're excited about that. But the other thing that you mentioned are all these other events that we keep, um, it keeps us, keeps us very busy here. Of course. Yeah, It's not just the fact you guys are putting events on, you're doing the big arrive and drive too. If somebody wants to come, they can arrive and drive in 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 an ignite. They can, tent with you guys under your tent it's it's pretty serious when you go to it's especially daytona yeah daytona so i i just i have to rattle the list off here real go quick for because it. it's so cool so we're going to start the season out at daytona international speedway yeah uh, that's not bad that's you know daytona right <laughs> it's, it's pretty right. cool our second ignite race of the season is going to be at the circuit of the americas well that, that's pretty good too you know that's cool f1 so then our right. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. F1 guys were just there a couple of weeks ago warming the place up for us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, our third Ignite race, our, our third Ignite major event of the year is going to be at South Park in Quincy, Illinois, a legendary karting event. You know, that's pretty cool. And we recover from that. And then we race at this place uh, not too far from here called the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So we're not even to the middle of July and our our Ignite customers can say that they've raced at Daytona, they've raced at Circuit of the Americas, Coda in Austin, and they've raced at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I mean, to me, that's just super cool. I mean, that's amazing. And, it's, it's a and tremendous so lineup, right? And and you just consider the experience that these guys are going to have, not racing experience, but just the life experience, the experience within yeah. the sport, being able to, because you remember, we, we both done it, that when you go underneath the bridge at Daytona or under the yeah. bridge and from outside to the infield of... Yeah. Of Indianapolis. I've been there for the 500. I will be racing this year in the Battle of the Brickyard. David Cole and I both running. It's nice. an, it's a magical place. There's no doubt about it. I, I mean, I literally, I get goosebumps yeah. just thinking about right now, just thinking about going through the tunnel at Daytona or Indy. You yeah. know, it's just so amazing. So then we finished our season out with uh, Rock Island Grand Prix, another legendary event, and uh, the Elkhart Grand Prix too, which is a, a another great event that's making a comeback. And, and I have to give credit for all the success we're having with these major events to two guys here in the office. And that's uh, Sean Kennedy and Greg Dingus without their efforts, those races would not be happening. And uh, so a lot of the credit goes to them, but yeah, a couple uh, of young guns, team. a couple of young guns with, with the same passion you and I had, when we were closer to their age. <laughs> yeah. They've just got a little more fuel in the tank right now. I think a little more hair do, on the top of their heads too. I think certainly that, but <laughs> man, that's just me. I, I, I don't mean to dwell on it, but how cool is that, that yeah. we're getting to race at these premier, I mean, these are, these are the best places in the world to go compete in motorsports. And we're going to be there with our Ignite program. So, uh, you know, thanks to WKA, thanks to USAC Karting for making it all happen for us. So you've brought up the Circuit of the Americas. I did as well. Um, you know, the, it's, it's interesting because the gateway program you have is essentially plug and play. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's something you could copy anywhere where there's a track that has rentals, uh, you know, that, that you can do the same thing. There's no club. You come in, here's the program. We're going to take, you know, you're going to keep running guys through We all know the rental car programs make a ton of money. If they do the right marketing, rental car programs, especially the ones outside are just, yes. they can make, people are loving it, right? Whether it's GoPro right. or Dallas Carding Complex, they're hammering people through. People are loving carding. We just need to show them how easy it is to, to make it a, a a sport, a pastime, a hobby, as opposed to just a Sunday thing they do twice a year. Well, and you bring up a very important point there. These rental tracks, that's where they make their money. Yeah. 
back to Gus Trader. This is a business. You know, when you pave, when you build this track at Coda, there's a big bill associated with it, you know, and you've got to pay for the place. Rental carts do that. They enable that facility to be there and be open for the race carts. So you can't have a race program, uh, what I call a traditional race program, that you would see at a typical club track, you know, over the years, that you get there at seven in the morning, you get registered, practice starts at eight, and you're loading your trailer and getting out of there at six or seven that night. You've tied up that facility the whole day. You've tied up those customers, those racers the whole day. It doesn't make sense. So you shut down your rental revenue the whole day. So the great thing about the Ignite race program that we've put together is it's about a six-hour package. So, uh, you know, you can turn the track back over to rental carts at about two in the afternoon and get the program run. I like Saturday mornings. I think Saturday morning's a great, great time. Agreed. Um, you know, you're not on Sunday when people want to go to church or do things with their family. Come in Saturday morning, get there at 8 o'clock, practice starts at 9. You're done racing by 2 or 2.30. You can hang out at the track the rest of the day if you want. Or you can go home and cut the grass or do something with your kids. Very true. So, yeah. You know, it allows time for, for people to do other things. And I think, uh, again, with a facility like Coda, you know, they've got a major investment down there and they've got to keep those revenue streams flowing. So uh, this program made sense to them. And we're really looking forward to working with them. We think it's uh, there's just a tremendous amount of potential down there to grow the sport at Coda. And we're going to see the benefit at the other tracks in that region. All right, Keith, just a couple more minutes left in this edition of the Industry Insider. Again, folks, my name is Rob Howden. You're listening to the EKN Radio Network. My guest today, Keith Freiber from Margay Racing. Uh, Again, a couple minutes to go, as I said. What is next for Margay? Fill us a little bit. I I briefly mentioned the fact that there's a program going at Autobahn Country Club, which is the member track just uh, west of Chicago. You know, you're bringing karting to that track, which is amazing. Um, yeah. what else you got going? Are there other facilities that I haven't mentioned where the, you've got the Margie Ignite program firing up? Well, we're trying to, uh, grow incrementally, you know, I mean, when you, when we were fortunate enough to pick up an Autobahn or, uh, the facility at Coda, um, those are big bites, you know, and, and there's a lot of increased volume associated with that. And we want to be sure that we can service, uh, those facilities the way we should. That's we want to make sure yeah. we take care of everything. So um, yeah, there's absolutely a punch list here of other facilities similar to Autobahn, similar to Coda that we want to go after and that we will be going after, but we're only going to do that uh, when we're ready. So uh, we've got a few other things in the works. We've got some new product offerings uh, that are really exciting to me. Um, everybody knows my affinity for twin engine carts. So I, think- <laughs> I was just going to say, do we talk about do we talk about the twin yet? <laughs> yeah, you know, I've we've been teasing that for way too long now, and and we really just need to get it into production. Uh, we had a whole lot of fun this past summer building a twin one seventy five. I was going to uh, say, yeah, there was. I saw the twin Briggs, but I saw the twin one seventy five too. Well, uh, you know, the genesis of that twin one seventy five was a conversation you and I had with Bob Haro at uh, yep. PRI three or four three years ago now. And, and we were sort of brainstorming and we said, hey, this is what we've got to do. And so we did it. And wow, that thing is unbelievably impressive. Uh, very cool to drive. But uh, that's kind of a one-off deal, obviously, that's just uh, you know more of a novelty than anything. But the Twin 206, uh, honestly, I think there is a future for that. Uh, really? That's interesting. Absolutely. I'd love to drive it. Well, it's- you know, 
we, we limit ourselves a little bit with the two. I mean, 206 is a great base, uh, great foundation, and, and it's sort of saved the sport. There's no question about it. But if you, you know, look around when you're at the racetrack, man, there's a lot of big dudes out there that aren't racing. Yep. So, you know, for the guy that's 6'2", 6'4", 240, 250 pounds, he can't sort of go out and hang with his buddies on the track. And, and, and that single 206, you know, it's working hard to haul that guy around the track. So let's give him two, you know. And so we're really going to target this towards larger drivers. I love it. That's cool. And, and, um, and anybody else that wants to climb, it's a ball to drive because it's fast, but manageable. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you know, the twin 175, you're just trying to save your life every five seconds. I was going to say, it doesn't have that bottom end hit that just like, oh my God, on the pipe yeah. and away we go, right? Yeah. That thing's uh, very exciting to drive. <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> so. But the uh, the 206, it's plenty fast. The twin 206 is really fast, but it's manageable again. You can actually think about it while you're driving it. So I think there's some potential there. Um, you know, again, we're going to be working hard, very hard to uh, grow the program up at Autobahn. You know, we're we're getting more and more involved with uh, the KA100, uh, both at Autobahn and down at Coda. And, and that's sort of our default uh, move, the next package that we're going to be promoting real heavily. Uh, great engine package from another great company involved in karting forever, uh, with Yami. So we're excited about that. And there's all kinds of other things that are sort of, uh, percolating right now. So, uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up the next few months. Yeah. I think, uh, this was fantastic. We're right up against time, but I think that we, we've left a lot of questions, which I like, uh, part two of our Keith Freeper is going to come up, I think in December or January, because, you know, we're going to want to talk about more about the K 100. We're going to want to talk more about other programs you're working with. Maybe we'll put it a little bit later because I'd love to see what happens and talk to you after Daytona. You know, I want to talk sure. a little bit about what happens once Coda does get up and running. What kind of feedback are, there, are we getting from them? Because again, just a program uh, I think is fantastic. Keith, we are out of time on the Industry Insider. My friend, thank you so much for carving some time out on a Friday evening uh, to be here on the EKN Radio Network. Rob, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for all that you do for karting and everybody involved in the sport. Uh, you, you do a lot for everybody here and uh, we just, we all appreciate it. I uh, can't tell you how much we, we want to thank you for everything you do. Keith, thank you so much, folks. It takes guys like Keith Freeber that have been in this sport for 25 or more years and still have a passion for it. That's what drives things forward. That's what drives innovation like the Margay Ignite. If it wasn't for Keith and his crew saying, we need to solve a, solve a problem the sport has, uh, we'd still be battling with not having guys running at the club level. Instead, the foundation growing, strengthening. Big thanks to David Klaus, of course, at Briggs & Stratton, that 206 has just been so amazing. But again, the guys at Margay have blended their Ignite with that 206, and uh, they're bringing new people into the sport that could otherwise just be stuck uh, running rental carts. Again, we uh, thank Keith for joining us here on the ECAN Radio Network. There will be a part two to this, I guarantee you, probably January. We'll talk about Daytona. We'll talk about the Ignite program there. They're going to have 40 or 45, I would expect. We'll talk I think about- we're going to be over 50, actually. It's oh, getting kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. And we'll talk about you laying down in that one, t- uh, that, uh, that, lay down cart see if you can go beat randy folks this time around as well nice looking forward to it thanks rob oh uh, ladies and gentlemen this has been the industry insider on the ekn radio network thank you so much on behalf of everyone at ekn my name is rob howden bye for now <laughs>